Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. I spent some time at the Royal Children's Hospital with my son last year, and you see the benefit of plastic, the sterilization, yep. the way it does protect certain products that need to have yeah. remain clean. It's the dependency. It's the, it's the stupidity we've got with plastics. Um, I just cleaned out the garage last weekend, and some of the shit, dare I say, that comes in packaging, the polyester and polystyrene, and just in a box that might carry a small product, you put up, unpack these things. And there's smarter ways to redesign things. And if you go back to basic principles, a plastic problem is a design problem. Welcome back to our final official episode of Humans of Purpose for 2023. First off, a big thanks to our major sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. It would be remiss of me to start our final official episode of the year without thanking you, our listeners, guests, partners, sponsors, and supporters for making this a fantastic year and a watershed year for the podcast. Over the next few weeks, I'll share some bonus episodes where I'll reveal the most popular episodes of the year by the numbers, your popular vote, as well as my favorite podcast of the year and some early thinking and a call out for themes for next year. By way of overview, we'll share more on the socials, but this year we had close to 150,000 unique listens to the podcast. We reached peak podcast chart positions of number eight in the Australian Management Podcast Charts and number 92 in the Australian Business Podcast Charts. We're also thrilled and very grateful to win gold as the top independent podcast at the Global Signal Awards. So massive achievement, just to give you an idea of how big this is for us, there are over 3 million podcasts out there, Um, so to be anywhere near a chart and to get the number of listeners, support and awards that we've had is just phenomenal. Given the year we've had and how far the podcast has come, it's only fitting that our first ever episode guest on the podcast, number one, back in 2016, Elliot Costello of YGAP fame, joins me to discuss his new plastics reduction venture, Phantom albeit 317 episodes and seven years later. Elliot is the CEO of Phantom, and Phantom are on a mission to deplastify the world's supply chains. It's a digital platform enabling businesses to identify better packaging and products, minimize environmental impact, fast-track progress towards ESG goals, and monitor key milestones. Before we get into it, I just want to wish you a wonderful and joyous uh, end of year, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate. Enjoy the break, come back refreshed, and enjoy some of our bonus content and really do dive into some of our older episodes. There's plenty to listen to during those moments of peace and quiet that you should be lucky enough uh, to get during your break. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Elliot as much as I did. Mate, welcome to the podcast. It's been 311 episodes plus. Uh, you're back in a much more professional chair at the Commons. How are you? I'm well, Mike. Thanks for having me back. What do you think of the uh, the new digs? It's a world apart from the two beanbags you and I shared at your house three and a half years ago. You have professionalized <laughs> yeah. the whole operation. Well done. I felt like I've owed this to you for some time because um, we were sitting in beanbags that 
just about everyone struggled to get in or into and out of. I thought it was a great innovation. It was not. And I think even at that time, we had these funny speakers and not actual microphones. And it's just, I, do you ever even listen to that one that, from all that time ago? It's okay if you didn't. I did. And um, I'm just wondering, did you ever lose anyone in those that beanbag? It was huge. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you had yeah. to pull me out of it. <laughs> You're a good sport. I mean, it's, it takes a bold man to come on for podcast number one in a run of a series. But we're back 311 episodes later. I saw you at the Purpose Conference and I thought, um, and I've also seen you a lot at the comments, and I thought we have to get you back on because you've done so much. A lot's happened in between. Um, as I was saying, you look gorgeous, so well done on uh, maintaining and representing. Well, you, you should be more honest with your uh, listeners. That, that's far from the truth. I've aged a lot since we last caught up, but um, it has been nice to run into you. Very... You've aged in wisdom. <laughs> that's that's more considerate. So, I mean, what a journey. is. So, should we start at YGAP? Handing over the reins of YGAP, which is still absolutely thriving. Um, take us there and then maybe take us to everything in between. We've got a bit of time because I do want to talk about Phantom, but I want to hear about your journey. And what led you to your time in Oxford, um, there's stuff I don't know about, and then also your journey into plastics. So I um, resigned from YGAP in June 2018. That was uh, the 10th year of my leadership, um, being a co-founder and the founding CEO. Um, Had a wonderful experience. It was very formative from 23 to 33 I do believe that uh, every founder should consider um, and plan towards um, leaving an organization. Um, like any founder, my identity was wrapped up in that organization. I, I love what I did. It was my dream job. Um, but there's always a, a phase and stage of life, and it was time for me to go on and for the organization to mature and change and, and seek some new uh, leadership. So I had a break in 2017, uh, came back and realized that was uh, time for me to resign. Spoke to my then chairman, Dan Mardavin, who has been a regular um, uh, podcaster or regular uh, person on your podcast. Um, and Dan. Yeah, everyone's a fan with Dan. Who doesn't love Dan? Um, so yeah, stepped down as a nine-month process to leave, um, handed the organization over to uh, the COO, and that was a transition in place led by the board. Um, I stayed in Melbourne for a couple of months and really enjoyed the process of not driving into Richmond and being um, the the leader and the manager of YGAP. I finished my football season and jumped on a plane um, to go do postgraduate studies at Oxford University. Uh, Really, it was a scratch that I wanted to, sorry, itch that I wanted to scratch for a long time. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, education in principle, but certainly further education, having done... um, my last postgraduate studies at 22 years old before starting YGAP. I had always wanted to go back to university but found so many excuses not to. Uh, once I'd resigned, I thought I don't have a clear path for what's next. Um, and at 34, without a mortgage uh, and a kid and partner, fiance, everything I've got now, I, I thought it's an opportune time in life to take a break and um, go to further studies. So initially, I was going to do an MBA, but got some. Great advice from a mentor, one of our major donors, Peter Cooper, who told me I'd already done an MBA, building and running a, a large international <laughs> nonprofit. So he asked me a better question, what would you study if it wasn't um, for the scholarship that I was looking at for an MBA? And I said, history, politics, and uh, theology. And he said, that's exactly what you need to do. 
sounds like you got to that fairly fast. Like that, that's what you wanted. You kind of have to when you when you're applying late. <laughs> I kind of finished it uh, while I got for, or decided to resign, and then was like, "What am I going to do next? Oh, I should go to university." And oh. you were very close to the MBA option. Oh, very close. I, I, I psychologically decided years earlier that I wanted to do an MBA at some stage, and if not at um, Oxford at American University, kind of saw it as a progression, um, having studied commerce and worked in uh, the financial sector before um, starting YGAP as a volunteer at 23 years old. Uh, but the best decision I ever made was not doing an MBA. Um, I went in and studied um, something that I was really passionate about, um, going deep into humanities. Um, so it was uh, postgraduate studies in both philosophy and theology, um, looking at um, a number of major religions and um, Principally, what it did was put me at the feet of intellectual giants, and it allowed me to really check my ego. Um, I was a no one overseas. Um, I was very bottom of the rung in terms of intellectual uh, academic capability coming from a leadership management perspective. Um, I failed my first term because my writing, uh, the two essays I had to write a week was too journalistic, as I was told. It was too fact-based. Um, too fact-based. Way too fact-based. That's a very university comment, isn't it? Way, uh, I had too to... grounded in reality, Elliot. What are you doing? <laughs> I had to go back and learn how to be a student, and um, but I had a, a wonderful year and um, yeah, engaged in all the social activities that, that comes with postgraduate studies. And so what were the sort of – it's a very hard question to ask, but what were some of the big sort of takeaways for you? Were there life-changing moments? Were there changes in the way you thought? Were there changes um, – were there things that came from that time that – dictated what you were to do next partially um there were that was a reprieve for me it was a break it was a step back from management it was a step back from leadership it was a step back from you know even at 34 years old thinking that i had to change the world each and every day um it was an investment in myself intellectually emotionally physically um i engaged in so many different activities that i'd never done before um and developed new friendships, um, went over there not knowing anyone, and uh, I, I love people, and that was a perfect place to build f- fantastic lifelong friendships. Um, but principally, the, the education was the focus, and I really had to pull my finger out and study hard. Um, typically, I got sucked into everything, being the social secretary of my college and doing football, basketball, rowing, and uh, got my. I did a TEDx talk in at Oxford and won a student prize to do so, and I just... I had to get some advice from my uh, supervisor who said, you just got to slow down and focus on your studies. And, and I did. And um, I ended up with the second highest mark uh, for my course, which was hard work. Um, uh, lucky it rained nonstop over the uh, British winter and I got to sit inside, <laughs> drink tea and, and studies. But um, I, I, I studied a lot of the early Christian uh, modern church uh, and also Islamic studies across the 20th century um, two topics that really fascinate me. My dissertation then was on the intersection of faith and politics in the United States, um, writing about the rise of the religious right and the implication it has on uh, modern US um, politics, uh, which was a funny time to be writing this dissertation because it was 2018 going to 2019. Uh, We were a year away from the 2020 election. Um, I was writing all of what happened leading up to the, the Trump movement. Yeah, fantastic time to, to be thinking and writing about that, right? Fantastic and also alarming. Yeah. Um, so from a theoretic perspective, it was interesting to go back through the 70s and 80s and, and understand how 
Um, Robinson and Falwell and so many leaders um, really enabled uh, the religious right to capture the Republican Party and transform it into the party we know it today. But it's also scary to see the manifestation of uh, how Donald Trump has become such a dominant force in US politics and um, now society. So I, I'm a very pragmatic person. So at the end of my dissertation in June um, 2019, I decided that um, I needed to get off my seat in Oxford and go do something about what I'd learned. And um, I booked a one-way trip, one-way flight to uh, DC and decided that I wanted to get active um, working with the Democrats in the 2020 election. Um, I'm very honest with my politics, which is quite progressive. And um, after studying and being so concerned about um, the current state of the Republican Party, I really wanted to support. Um, there was a couple of candidates I had in mind that I wanted to get on their campaign and work with for the 2020 election. Um, again, getting to DC, um, having a few family friends, but not knowing anyone in a, in a big, very big, demanding city like DC. Um, I started at the bottom of a social justice organization, volunteering for three months. My leader there, um, the managing director, um, Adam Taylor, fantastic man. I learned a lot from, I, I worked with him every day for uh, three months and he was a former advisor to Barack Obama um, and he connected me with a very good friend of his that was head of policy for Mayor Pete Buttigieg, um, a candidate that I was really interested in, um, fascinating guy at 30 eight years old, running from running for president, coming from being the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, a, a very unknown little town in northern Indiana. Mm. Um, I was 35, about to turn 36 mm. at the time. I think I just turned 36. So Mayor Pete was about my age, um, and I gave up another three months of my life and my funds to volunteer in his campaign, joining his policy team in late 2029 and working on um, his 2020 election. That's fascinating. And um, gay guy too, it's incredible. So, you know, beyond his politics and progressiveness, that w w what a, a candidate that would have been to get up. First openly gay presidential candidate, um, remarkable individual. He, he's an intellectual giant um, and just seeing the courage he had to, to leap from mayor into federal politics and the momentum he built, keep in mind, he was up against, you know, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, right through to Elizabeth Warren. Andrew Yang as well, the Yang Gang. Yang Gang, yeah. We, we tend to forget about Yang Gang. He caused a, <laughs> a lot of noise. And yeah. at the first Iowa caucus, Mayor Pete won marginally hmm. by about 0.6 or 0.7% over Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, and that was the first caucus. So it was a real moment. I think overall he ended up fourth or fifth, um, which is remarkable for a first term, yeah. uh, a first try at a presidency in your 30s. Oh, it's incredible effort. And so was it hard to make a choice? Because I think there were some interesting candidates in that mix too. I mean, Bernie Sanders, I think, had a lot of appeal. It wasn't hard um, because I didn't have the luxury of choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a foreign national getting onto a US presidential uh, candidate's um, office, it's it's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Democrats are very particular and tired, especially after the accusations in 2016 of the Republicans depending on foreign nationals, specifically Russians, to influence um, a bit of their power towards helping Donald Trump win in 2016. So the Democrats are very strict on foreign nationals supporting them and presidential candidates, and that's why I was volunteering. Yeah. Those that do make it inside the tent cannot be paid, yeah. and then there are national laws preventing payment for foreign nationals to work on campaigns, which I was aware about. Yeah. Happy to volunteer. So it was a sort of 
18 month period of my life, uh, both university and then into the 2020 campaign where I was volunteering and or studying and, and going back to, to basics and, and really just being a student of um, remarkable leaders and people that inspired me from academics right through to future presidents. You got this interesting through line of um, social political activism uh, punctuated by deep thinking and learning. That's a compliment. Yeah, I haven't expressed it the same way, but um, yeah, I mean- Do you think to, about to, it that way or? Well, <laughs> to be pragmatic with your activism, I, I think you really need to understand who's come before you and in understanding and knowing what's been laid before you to, do, to really think about how to drive a future, to understand where we're going as a society, as a nation, or even as an organization, you really need to work Stand on the, the shoulders of giants, um, and there are some incredible leaders, not just in the 20th century, but well before that, that I, I love studying, I love understanding, um, and I think it's, it's important for us all to be students of history. Yeah, absolutely. And so that time spent with uh, Mayor Pete, um, how do you get to plastics after that? Great question. Um, it, it is a bit of a pivot, as one <laughs> may say. Um, early 2020, like a, a lot of um, Australians, I was brought back to the uh, our shores. Um, I came home just before COVID, um, and I was renting an Airbnb in South Bend, Indiana. I actually intended to go back to South Bend, Indiana. I came back for um, my niece's first birthday and to see the family, um, and plan to go back to South Bend and and join his campaign again. Just as COVID was kicking off, um, a great friend, Lisa Barlow offered to me to do some consulting work. She had found a remarkable company in uh, San Francisco that was converting organic food and green waste into a new natural material called polyhydroxyalkanotes, which is better termed, easier phrase as PHA. Cool, because I was looking at the website and I was trying to see what that was. So I've got It's to- hard to understand. Basically, yep. PHA is a drop-in replacement for petrochemical plastics. So it's a uh, regenerative material made from nature that returns to nature that can replace many forms of um, petrochemical plastics. So it's a bit of a wonder material. Um, it's hard to make and it's expensive to make, but um, Lisa had met some fantastic entrepreneurs in the US that were making it from food, organic food and green waste and um, just said, look, I, I love this technology. I want to do something with it. I want to license it. Um, would you be interested in helping? And my first response was, oh, that's not me. You need a chemical engineer or someone with environmental science background um, but I can help you for a month. You know, I'm, I'm home for a few weeks over summer. I'm going to go back to the US. Um, it's been a very long month. It's been three and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was a well-timed um, request and I accepted to do a month of contracting. And I think Lisa knew more than I did that um, once I start something, it's hard to stop. But um, I mean, two things happened. One, I got fascinated in the work. It was um, intellectually challenging. And two, Everything kicked off in the US and we, we all know what happened in the US with COVID um, and it was a much worse prospect to go back to when I had a secure home in Melbourne, living in an Airbnb and volunteering for a presidential candidate. So the, I should say that the other hook, line and sinker was um, when I responded to Lisa saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm come from the humanitarian space, I'm not sure about this environmental justice space. Her retort was the greatest form of um, humanitarian justice is environmental justice. Mm-hmm. And it was my uh, linear thinking that there were 
kind of separate issues. I've, I was focused on social justice and we had, with great support, the leaders focusing on environmental climate change issues, um, but they're not uh, mutually exclusive. Uh, they're yeah. interconnected. It's also the idea that uh, without a planet, it'd be hard to do social justice work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I took on the project. Um, we did get to sneak a trip into San Francisco. I think we landed on the uh, 13th of March, 2020. Um, I had 800 cases in San Fran. Um, what a that time. Was on, that Your was timing's on, always been impeccable, hasn't it? <laughs> that was on Thursday. By Saturday, uh, our then Prime Minister, Scott Morrison had said that anyone overseas coming home had to do home quarantine for two weeks on the 15th of March. Um, we were supposed to be there for 10 days and we got shut out of the country um, and flights were cancelled and it was hard to get on a flight. We then had a sh- – San Francisco, being a progressive city, did a shelter in place, so we pretty much got locked in our hotel room. So our 10-day trip, we had three days and then by Sunday, scrambling to get home um and did make it back on a flight to brisbane but had to do my quarantine up up in queensland um but it it was enough to see this project firsthand they were working with um google taking all of google's food waste from its endless amount of cafeterias and turning it into a wonderful material uh spent 2020 from my bedroom like uh every other australian working um and trying to find a way to license this technology um, in the end, at the end of the year, we decided to walk away from that opportunity just because the stage of development for this um, company in the US. And we went, decided to do it ourselves, uh, won a million dollar federal government match grant um, that put us into partnership with both the CSIRO and Monash University to, to develop a core material ourselves as a so deep technology play. Was it essentially taking conceptual idea from, from your experience and then bringing that here and um, government socks were knocked off, so to speak? Yeah, so we, we were mimicking um, what this organisation Full Cycle Bioplastics was doing um, and it was a blessing to walk away from that licence agreement because that company now doesn't exist. Yep. Um, they tried to licence their technology too quickly, raised a lot of money and burnt it like uh, many startups. Uh, we just thought there's their stage of development, they're trying to force us to pay for, for their technical leap and we had a fantastic chemical engineer who remains a key member of our team, Rob Anderson, join and do two... Um, technical reviews of their technology, including a, a feasibility study. Um, why the Australian government um, gave us money is uh, we are trying to develop solutions to our plastics problems. So the Australian government is committed to trying to find alternative solutions. Um, they're very committed to recycling. I have a few issues with recycling, but we can come to that later. Mm. Um, that is the current thinking, but we have to also develop alternative materials. There's, there's not so recycling cannot solve this problem and uh, we cannot recycle our way out of this problem we do need to think pragmatically and so the australian government was is interested in investing in alternative approaches um and that's the, ma- the magic of our crcp programs uh, for anyone out there that's looking to develop interesting technology there are remarkable research uh, project grants available ours was through the department of industry um science research um which is now changed uh, so it was match funding that brought us into the partnership. The other benefit that ticks the boxes for the Australian government is it's, it's a manufacturing play, um, and that obviously creates jobs. And Australian government spending a lot of money to try and rebuild our manufacturing sec- sector. I should say that um, after uh, close to two years, we did develop the capability of manufacturing PHA at lab. We did so with the CSIRO and Monash University and got a, 
a nice little green tick in our uh, milestones towards our technical development pathway. Um, we had an opportunity lined up with the Yarra Valley Water to scale from bench into pilot. Um, but being a, a, a former recovering uh, accountant, um, along with my business partner, Sean Hanley, and a few others around us, we ran the numbers and it just did not stack up. And this is the tragic reality of manufacturing in Australia. The core cost of CapEx projects plus labour costs in Australia didn't stack up for us to scale this technical pathway. Um, and the other part that had changed in our thesis was there was very limited supply of PHA available in sort of 2020 when we started Phantom. Um, fast forward a couple of years, supply started to come online, predominantly across East Asia, but also North America and other parts of Europe. So, so what does PHA come from? It comes from a range of feedstocks, but it's a, it's a fermentation process. So the feedstocks can be anything natural. Um, so it can be a, um, a single feedstock. You can have a sugar cane, um, use wheat. You can use malt mixed feedstocks. So we were trying to develop a technical solution to two problems with one technology. So we were trying to use food and organic green waste. Uh, so that's why we partnered with Yarrow Valley Water. Um, partnered with their re-waste facility in, in Wallow and take digestate sludge, basically leftover food waste sludge that was going to be sent to trade waste and still is sent to trade waste and use that as a feedstock to make PHA. Um, so this microbial fo- uh, focus, uh, so microbial fermentation process, it's like the fat that grows in our body. Yep. It's excess fat in the bacteria in the microbe that grows um, and with that, um, you can extract the PHA out through a, a large vat process. So it's a pretty chemically um, interesting sort of formulation that yeah. uh, enables, enables PHA to grow. Can you a- take some PHA out of me? <laughs> It'd be helpful at this time of year. Uh, I'm not going to run that experiment. Um, I'll-, I'll, I'll, I'll fund the pilot and the capex off that. <laughs> um, so it's, um, it's a fascinating wonder material. It's starting to gain momentum globally. There's a lot of brands are getting interested in it the tragic reality is it just is not meeting price parity with your standard forms of plastic yeah and whilst innovation is critical and everyone's excited about it brands still fundamentally look at the bottom line and so like to come back a little bit further um this is a circular economy solution uh, which is a bit different from recycling it is so we are trying to um really pioneer and propel the natural materials economy. Um, so in walking away from our technical play with being a core manufacturer, PHA, we've developed a platform that supports brands in their journey towards becoming plastic-free. So we did a lot of um, customer analysis, speaking to 40, close to 50 of Australia's biggest brands from Bunnings, Coles, Woolies, Unilever, um, LD, et cetera, and fundamentally we we do credit them for being up for the journey they do want to see a pathway off their dependency on plastics most are perpetuating the problem of plastics yep. you know you can't walk through a supermarket without being bombarded with every item in plastic yep. even your fresh produce it's just, we don't even need to labor the facts of how problematic plastics are around the 5 milligrams we eat per week a credit card every human and the fact that it's crossed our blood brain barrier um, kids have twice the amount of plastics in their system than adults, let alone getting to the environment and the, the impacts it has right across yeah. the ocean. So we all know the problem of plastics. Um, the solution's really difficult. And yes, alternative materials are great, but we need to ramp them up at a rapid pace 
because the plastics industry is set to double by 2040. Wow. So, so where's the, that coming from primarily? Uh, industry. Yeah. So the, the demand's- the ge- prom- Geographically, is there concentration? The production? Yeah. Right around the world. US, US is set to grow by $200 billion. Um, and right now, the plastics industry itself is a 609 US billion dollar industry, and that's intended to double within the next fifteen years. So, so the, so the mission, the phantom mission to deplastify the world, is a big mission. It's a large mission. Um, we're not going it alone. We we do love this um, sector because there's so many fantastic organisations who are committed to a plastic free planet, which is our mission. Um, so, in our research of these customers that we went out to, we knew the brands are up for the journey. There's confusion, there's concern, there's price difficulty, there's performance question marks. So that's why we developed a platform to really bridge this gap between early material makers, groups that are legitimately designing plastic-free materials or polymers, and, and they do exist. And there's some fantastic materials coming to market. We're all getting excited about seaweed, fungi, um, but there's a range of other really interesting materials that uh, we believe will help solve this problem, and it has to be a range. PHA is one of many different sort of family of um, natural materials that we want to champion, mm. um, and being able to connect that to industry. So that's what our uh, Phantom platform does. It, we do work with industry to help them su- to support them on their journey to plastic-free, the three-step solution. Art ART? ART, yep. You've read our website. Thanks, Mike. I'm so, impressed by your website. And I, I think it's a good acronym as well because I can remember it. <laughs> it's it's a good one. So A stands for assessment. So we give brands a real-time assessment of their plastic footprint in their supply chain and or operation. That can be for a product or packaging or right through their whole supply chain. Um, and that just really identifies how significant this problem is. Um, the old management adage, you know, you can't manage what you can't measure. Yeah. So just having an understanding of this is your footprint um, we then take brands through to reduction strategies. Many aren't ready to make leaps of faith at this stage. You, you, we do support them in saying, okay, well, if you cut down this, if you change to that, if you increase, uh, if you change that machine, you will limit your plastic in your supply chain, which A, helps the environment, but B, saves you money. Uh, and then the T is where the magic happens. That's our transition projects. Um, it's very exciting. What I like about the stage model is you'll have a percentage um, across almost a bell or diffusion curve that are at the A, R, or T phase. So many consumer brands are sort of at that R phase, I think. Um, some are just entering that assessment phase, but then others that are really maybe sort of progressive, we're thinking, okay, we know that we've reduced as much as we can. What's the next step look yep. like? And they're waiting for materials to come online yeah. at the right price, et cetera, et cetera. So um, whilst supporting those brands, we're really trying to propel this natural materials economy. So we are passionate about um, early material makers in Australia and around the world. So we're not making our own materials now. We're kind of this conduit, a platform that really champions these materials and tries to get them on the hands of the best brands in this country. So that's a bit of a pivot for you. It is a pivot, yeah. So we've gone further downstream, um, working what we describe as the missing middle, connecting brands to makers. Yeah, no, I love that. And I thought the um, the dashboard look of things was really good. I couldn't get started because I'm not actually making anything at the moment, but but it looked very promising and that UI interface. So how's it all going? Are you in market? That's And thanks for jumping onto the dashboard and having a look. <laughs> Many people flick through the web, website for 30 seconds and jump off. Um, so yeah, our, our MVP is live. And it's at phantom.com. We're phantom without the O, so P-H-A-N-T-M.com. Um, it's a wonderful uh, MVP. Our, our tech team's done a remarkable job 
um, and we, we credit them daily for it. Uh, so any brand can jump on, fill in some details, get a dashboard, understand and request an assessment, understand their footprint, um, you know, play with our interactive map that shows them where their products are coming from, what the type of exposures they have to materials, whether they're green, you know, and they're good materials that's got a good end of life, whether they're amber and they've got some concerns, or whether they're red and they need to think about getting off these materials because they're harmful for the environment. Um, we do measurements around four key things. Um, so that's global warming potential, so the CO2 um, in the, the packaging. Um, and this is from primary, um, secondary and tertiary. Um, then we, we look at the fossil fuel use, which is incredibly important for all companies these days. Water consumption is a third and then end of life is the fourth. Mm. Critically, we just got to know with these materials what's going to happen because we're told that there's this wonderful thing out there called recycling and everything gets repurposed and it's kind of horseshit. Um, globally, 9% of plastics get recycled. Um, US is tragically last year down to 5%. Um, Australia uh, had a leap from 13 to 18%, so above global averages. But when you think about it's shit. what goes into your recycling bin yep. tonight, Mike. It's not mo- good enough. Most is going to landfill. Yeah, and that's, that's um, I think most people wouldn't know that. What's your experience in telling people that? Most people have no idea. Yeah. Uh, before I started this project, I had no idea. Yeah. Because um, you not, just look at the bin and you think, well, it's going to recycling. Someone bin. else is going to sort this out. Yeah. But it's I'm not. paying my local council rates for this. Someone else is sorting it out. Any mixed material straight to landfill, right through to um, anything that's had contamination on it, so food or soil, um, anything that's got any form of contamination straight to landfill. What are the materials that you're seeing that you think have a lot of promise? Because I think we've been through this interesting time where there have been a whole range of um, new age materials coming online. Um, you mentioned just two, like fungi and seaweed. I think both have incredible applications. What, what, what sort of capturing your attention? They they grab everyone's attention. Yeah. Um, they're sexy. They're sexy materials that uh, everyone wants to work because they tell a great story. Um, there's still a lot of work that both need to go through in terms of pulling through to market. There's limited applications for both right now. Um, seaweeds have got a lot more potential. Uh, for mass applications than fungi. Fungi is pretty limited by its core composition and its um, application. Um, seaweed is now being um, converted into uh, stretch wrap, and there's some really interesting companies around the world, Sway and Nopla, who are commercialising seaweed at a rapid pace. Um, even some Australian companies that are, are quickly trying to develop seaweed as a packaging solution, but you, you have to source it from out of the, an open traded market or grow it yourself, which has layers of complication. Um, I, I do come back to PHA as a, as a leading replacement because it, it is a drop-in replacement material. Um, we need to really propel the industry forward. Um, so there has to be some major investments. Um, and the, the promising news is the global organization for PHA does have major brands, the Nestle's and Unilever's and others as, as members. So big brands have their eyes on it. Um, but it's about pulling these things through to market. You can go back to your even more traditional cellulose pulp and papers and others. They, they, there are, you know, and, and sneakers have done a great product recently around just a paper wrapper. These, these things don't need to be wrapped in plastic. They don't have to sit on the shelf for 18 months. Uh, and then that packet that you eat for 30 seconds lives for 500 years. It, do, do you think that people's preferences are changing around a sort of a... a- I don't want to say disgust, but a, a dislike of plastic when they receive items or they buy them? I can't comment for everyone, but I have been very encouraged doing this project. I dropped my son off to daycare this morning. I, I walked out and um, 
I was stopped by a lady who said, Tim? And I said, geez, I, I know that I'm losing some hair, but I'm not Tim <laughs> Costello. He's, he's bloody you know, 35 years older than me. Um, so I, she was quick to, when I said, no, Elliot, she quickly apologized. Um, but uh, her name is Steph. She used to work on uh, at a, a media a PR agency that we partnered with for the Five Cent campaign that you know very well, yeah, one of yep. YGUP's first projects. Yep. And um, when explaining what I was up to now running Phantom, uh, she's at David Jones and just said, wow, I'm really passionate about this space. I, I want to do something about plastics. I don't allow my kids to have any plastic in their lunchbox. Um, but it's hard. You know, oh, my, yeah. My son's- I'm packing a lunchbox. How old's your, your son? Uh, he's 20 months and uh, oh, my son's 19 months. Uh, there you, you go. That? How about that? <laughs> That's amazing. But but packing a lunchbox, I mean, everything is just plastic smothered. How off-putting is it? It's tough. It is yeah. tough. And and look, my um, fiance, Sophie, she's a sustainability director uh, and we we know the harmful effects of plastics, but we also know the utility and benefit yeah. too. Um, so we're not Puritan enough to say none at all. Mm. Uh, there's people that are and it's really difficult, um, but there are some fantastic applications. We spent some time at the Royal Children's Hospital with my son last year and you see the benefit of plastic, the sterilization, yep. the way it does protect certain products that need to have yeah. remain clean. It's the dependency. It's the, it's the stupidity we've got with plastics. Um, I just cleaning out the garage last weekend and some of the shit, dare I say, that comes in packaging, the, the polyester and polystyrene mm. and just in a box that might carry a small product mm. you put up unpack these things and there's smarter ways to redesign things and if you go back to basic principle a plastic problem is a design problem yeah it's a flaw in the system around designing better solutions consumers do not need excessive packaging they don't need everything to be dressed up in layers and layers of plastic to make you feel like you've got this brand new product um, to answer your question, so my son still has plastic milk bottles and other things. We try and limit his plastic. I don't let him put plastic in his mouth. Um, I rip it out of his mouth. And if it's not me, our puppy rips it out of his mouth. But it's it's trying to manage the plastic we've got at our house. Um, choose alternative products, choose secondhand products that we do. So this is where I want to get to with you actually is like has this journey um, at a company level and you know what you do, how much has that changed how you are at home and in, in your life? It's made me very conscious of the world that I live in and I still have a significant environmental foot- footprint even knowing what I know. Um, you know, I've invested in an EV, I've got solar panels, I'm not barely travelling these days. My company's based in Melbourne. I don't need to be on flights around the world like I was at YGAP. Um, I've limited so much of my environmental footprint but at the same time, I look in my bin each night since Red Cycle fell apart, which was a tragedy and also abhorrent um disaster but it's it is full of soft plastics and i don't feel good about that yeah you know i repurpose all my food waste i've got a compost bin you know everything's done as best as possible but the footprint's still there and i know what happens even in the recycling bin what's going to happen when that gets to the mirth have you had to like um give up on any particular brands or companies because there's just too much plastic like don't not ask you to name names but is there anything you just like no sorry too much yes i'm changing absolutely yeah Yeah. and I, i emailed them um, and just said, I love you, but this is unacceptable um, because I knew there was alternatives. There's other great brands that I haven't given up on, um, but I've emailed them knowing that they're in the food and bev space. There's not many options for them, so I do yeah. know that. So I haven't walked away, but there's companies that I have emailed saying, hey, you don't need to do this. Like, I know it's cheaper. It, it might cost you three cents a pack, 
versus you know going to a more traditional approach of paper that's maybe a bit more expensive but you don't need to you're making a choice for commercial reasons and you're destroying the planet every piece of plastic lasts for about 500 years so and it doesn't break down it just breaks up into smaller microplastics then nanoplastics and gets into if not our bloodstream into the environment into our soils i had a similar sort of like experience um where it's a little bit different, but a company was essentially trying to pass on the cost of transition to a non-plastic item to consumers and sort of like, oh, you should buy this because what we're currently giving you is really bad for the planet. So I wrote to them and said, that's really irresponsible as a company Mm. to do that and cheap, to be honest. You should be doing that. You should be doing that. And so this company is essentially like a, I don't want to get too far into it, but it's a supplement company and they transitioned away from plastic scoops. And what they'd done is they said, oh, we're not going to give you a scoop anymore. So if you want scoops, buy these um, scoops that are made out of metal that will last for a really long time. And I said, you're just passing the cost that you've created onto other people and not addressing it yourself at all as part of your supply chain. So why don't we get serious about that? Their response was okay, but still, I think there's so much to do you know, from an education standpoint. So that example speaks to the exact problem. Um, it does show you that most brands want to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that tragically what we're told, it's the consumer's responsibility. Yeah. And it's not. I mean, consumers just can, can't can bear all the costs, right? I mean, we, we And your example was sort of like, I think, testament to that. We do as much as we can, knowing that we also are part of the problem, but given the enormous cost pressures we're already under because of the society and world that we live in now, we do need companies to sort of take the lead. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and bear the cost, yep. to your point. Like- Check yourself, you know, focus on a triple bottom line, not just a single bottom line. Um, The reality is that it is in a stage of transition and change. It's difficult. It's confusing. Um, It might cost more, but like this is an investment in what's good. And for any company out there, there are solutions to their petrochemical plastics. And if it's not immediate, we can connect them up with brands who are working on authentic regenerative solutions that will change the game of their business and make that early investment by pulling these companies through to an off-take stage and being at the front of the queue. And that's why we exist. And the market's not ready for a marketplace. That's our future intention. But right now, we've got a platform that can say to any brand, hey, do the right bloody thing. Like, just commit to reducing plastic and to transitioning towards authentic natural materials. How are you going with traction in in market and also partnerships generally? So, you know, is this, I I mean, for me, this is fantastic, but is it resonating in market? It is. Yeah. It's, it was um, a a scary year. We're sitting here a couple of weeks before Christmas. And um, we, up until uh, the start of this year, we were developing a very different deep technology play that was long R&D cycle and flipped that on its head to build a platform without the core technical team behind us to do so. Um, and took a risk, took our board on that journey. I raised uh, two million Australian dollars of additional investment through a late seed round. Um, got some fantastic investors on board who have backed us and believed in us as a team. Um, the the big validation is not investment; it's customers. Um, and the three sort of leading customers I can tell you about now are Starbucks Australia. Um, we're developing a really exciting new alternative um, coffee cup made from coffee spent coffee ground waste that fantastic. we call the Coffee Coffee Cup. Um, we've got a a fantastic partnership. The first subscriber to our platform is Mecca and working with, um, Australia's leading sort of, uh, beauty and cosmetic brands. I'm really proud that they're a local Richmond business like us too. Around the corner. Around the corner. So Mecca has been fantastic to work with. The 
team in the office loves the endless samples that gets delivered to our office. Um, my hands are still a bit cracked. I might have to start using them. I was so say, you've, have you done something to your eyelashes? <laughs> you look wonderful. <laughs> I, I, this is going to be an episode of me just flirting with Elliot just for <laughs> this far. Yeah. Um, and then a third major one is thank you group. Um, oh wow, Dan, Dan's a good mate of mine. Um, and truth be told, I was um, uh, my fiance is British. Was we were back in London in mid year introducing our son to her side of the family and. Um, I was watching the Ashes um, in London, and I saw uh, I won't name which brand, but a brand try and say how remarkable it was they were doing good for the environment. That I found was a slapstick, slick, slapstick solution, and um, I commented on it, you know, to tell my opinion. Dan Flynn had seen it on Instagram, circled it, sent it to me. He's like, "We need to chat." So um, yeah, we're working on a really exciting uh, project with Thank You that's um, all kicking off at the moment. Wow, and that's another brand that's gone through a huge pivot too. So how exciting and the alignment so clearly there. Deplastic de- It's there. Deplastifying? Deep Deplasticifying? I can't say it properly. Deplastify. Deplastify. Yeah. That's so I mean look, every brand's on a different stage of their journey. Yep. Um thank you's not committing to deplastifying yet, but we are walking them through alternative options for a really exciting new project they've got. Um introducing them to new novel materials, making sure what we do, this assessment phase, I've just got to be really clear is data-driven. So we've got access to the world's leading data sets that do have a base of research behind how every material performs, its regional specificity of what type of end-of-life option it has, Mm. and the impact it has on the environment. So it really is a way to know that you've got the best product or package in market. Um, And so that allows us to take a group like Thank You on the journey to choosing the right material from the outset. And the scalability is obviously there as well when you've got that kind of ART dashboard approach. Was that a, a big sort of factor in the in the pivot too? Yeah, I mean, the ability to scale impact globally as well. 609 US billion dollar industry, we've got to be aggressive with, with this. Yeah. So um, it's a, it's a, obviously a soft technology play. It's a platform. We're, we're right now focused on the Australian market, but we are talking to some Asian potential customers. We've got a, a strategic investor from Korea. Um, we're going to be doing some work in South Korea over the next couple of years who got a major problem of plastics uh, up until I'm pretty sure it was not no less than 10 years ago. South Korea was used to take its plastics, drive it offshore and just dump it into the Pacific Ocean. Um, and that's in a sort of decade ago. Uh, so Korea, um, like a lot of Asia, um, has major problems with plastic, um, lack of good recycling end-of-life facilities. Um, that said, you know, after Singapore, Australia's the second highest um, users of plastic on a per capita basis in the world. So we really have a problem here. Even though our industry is small, our population is small, we, we do think Australia is a great place to test out our ART process um, to embed the right way to support every brand. And it's not about saying, oh, you're doing bad. It's about saying, hey, we understand you have been using plastic, but let's focus on solutions. Let's get you towards a pathway of, of finding better options that, that are out there that's driven by uh, best-in-market data. I think it's superb to hear about how well you're going, a couple of great partnerships and clients on board already, huge impact here and globally. Thanks for coming back and taking the leap of faith to rejoin me after such a long time. Um, And how can people, I'm sure there'll be people who want to reach out and talk to you after this conversation. How can they connect with you, uh, hear a bit more about Phantom and drop your line? Always open for a chat. Anything that's not just focus on um, our solutions to our plastic crisis, but also um, anything that interests people. Having a, a career and background in the not-for-profit sector, it's still where my heart lies. Um, 
So available on um, our website, phantom.com, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever the channel that may be, Um, or you can come find Mike and I in Cremorne because we're always around Cremorne. We're always around. And so I suppose the call to action would be to jump on the website and see if the MVP, uh, you want to give it a go? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we understand not all your listeners have brands that they're running. They may be working for organizations that don't have a problem with plastics, but every single person listening uses a lot of plastic day by day. And it's being proactive. We're going to live by activism, contacting these companies and saying, this is not good enough. There are solutions to this. Step up. We're willing to pay more. If not, you bear the cost. Factor it in. Um, And we are one of many solutions, but we're an Australian local company that can help any brand with their plastic problem. More power to you and to Phantom, mate. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.